my name is Marshall Gallagher. Uh, if I haven't met you, I'm a pastor here at Hope Community Church, and uh, this morning is going to be week two of uh, us walking through the book of 1 Corinthians. So if you want to turn there in your Bibles, if you didn't bring one, there should be a Bible close by in the seat uh, in front of you. All right. Well, last week uh, I said that we were kind of backing out of the driveway uh, for this book that gets a little bit bumpier as you get through it. Uh, and I said that I would tell everybody, buckle up this week. So buckle up, okay? Uh, last week was very nice and kind and sweet, and it kind of drops off on a little bit of a cliff this week. Um, so if you want to turn there, uh, just as kind of a word for this entire book, a lot of people think this section that we're about to cover uh, is kind of like the thesis for the rest of the entire epistle. Um, so you could even kind of un underline that verse 10, uh, and it is kind of a theme for the rest of the letter. Everything will tie back to almost this verse directly. Um, and so I want y'all not to be too surprised. Uh, expect to be challenged by this. Expect to be confronted. Uh, there will be little things and big things that will bother uh, every single one of us. Uh, Jeremy and I were joking. Some of you notice the clear differences in our personalities and bluntness probably. And, uh, and we were joking about how um, I'm not going to have to kind of be more blunt because Paul's going to cover that gap for me. So this will kind of be like uh, Jeremy's Ecclesiastes. It's just Paul's doing it rather than Jeremy's doing it. Um, and so expect to just be refined. Um, and I, I really, I want to ask you all and get your buy-in. Uh, I'm not sure what to do if the answer's no, but like, do you all want to be conformed into the image of Christ more? Yes, yes. all right. Let me ask you again, because I know some people who don't think it's allowed to speak at church weren't they're ready. Do you want to be conformed into the image of Christ more? Yes. All right. Okay, so we can keep going. That was going to be very awkward if the answer was no. But uh, all right, so let's read the text and then we will uh, walk through it, talk about it, uh, what it means and what it means for us today. First uh, Corinthians 1, verse 10. I appeal to you, brothers, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be united in the same mind and the same judgment. For it has been reported to me by Chloe's people that there is quarreling among you, my brothers. What I mean is that each one of you says, I follow Paul, or I follow Apollos, or I follow Cephas, or I follow Christ. Is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Or were you baptized in the name of Paul? I thank God that I baptized none of you except Crispus and Gaius, so that none of you may say that you were baptized in my name. I did baptize also the household of Stephanus. Beyond that, I do not know whether I baptized anyone else. For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel, and not with words of eloquent wisdom, lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. So I know some of you are like, we're two weeks in and we're 17 verses in. We are going to be here until 2020. Uh, not true. We will move faster, but these are two important points uh, or parts. Um, and so really, uh, one kind of observational point that I want all of us to understand, to see this morning. 
uh, is that relational separation is a symptom of gospel separatism. I'll say that again in case you want to write it down. Um, I'm just going to break it into two points. It's kind of one point, but I'll cheat and say it's two. Uh, Relational separation is a symptom of gospel separatism. All right, verse 10, Paul, uh, he, he appeals. So things have gotten so bad in this church He is appealing not to logic, not to what works best, not to just simple common sense. He he immediately jumps right into the conflict and says, I appeal to you in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. That's not to be lost. It was important that Paul went immediately to the most important thing he could possibly appeal to. He's cashing in all his chips to bring this up, saying, I appeal to you by the name of Lord Jesus Christ, by your faith. I'm going all the way out to appealing to the very hope that you say you have. He says that all of you agree. And at first it seems like, okay, why is that such a big deal that they're just in agreement with one another? And Paul uses a lot of political language in this section. Um, And basically what that means is that you all kind of speak the same about what's going on. You're all united in your kind of philosophy or ideology. Uh, He goes on to say that you would be, uh, that there'd be no divisions among you, that you'd be united in the same mind and same judgment. So same mind being the kind of ethical outlook, how you live, what's right, wrong. Same judgment is like how you make decisions considering the rest of the collective body. And so you start to sort of see how it's not just simply agreeing on decisions. It's that there are these divisions cropping up that are taking very, very uh, sharp turns throughout how they think, what, what their ethic of life is, what's going on, how each individual or individual pockets within the church are making decisions that are, are not even considering the rest of the group. That's what he's saying to get rid of these things uh, among them. And so verse 11, we get a little bit more information as to what's going on. It says, for it has been reported to me by Chloe's people that there's quarreling among you, my brothers. And some of you see a little note that says my brothers and sisters. It's just this Greek word that kind of means like, hey, y'all, right? Um, And I actually love, I I went to seminary in Boston and a lot of the language, they would, a lot of the professors would be like, yeah, you know, no one talks like this, but it's almost as if this word really would translate to like a y'all. And I'd be like, someone talks like that. <laughs> uh, I wouldn't do that because I would do, be made fun of. But uh, so, um, Chloe, we don't know a ton about Chloe, but she totally ratted out the Corinthian church. <laughs> and praise God that she did, Right? Uh, like we, there's uh, other information Chloe's mentioned a few times. Uh, it's probably that she was a very well-respected businesswoman. Uh, if you had any clout in Corinth, you were successful. And if you were successful in Corinth, you were probably some kind of merchant. So Chloe was likely very influential person uh, in the church, in the city, had multiple people all over. And so her people had kind of translated this message. And I mean, you can kind of picture it. This is conjecture, but she's a part of this church of Corinth, lots of little house churches, but kind of a collective whole. And she's like, these people are a hot mess. I have got to send Paul this letter because the congregation had sent Paul a letter. They had some questions as what they should do about some things, and we'll see that later. And 
I can see Chloe kind of like going to her people, meaning that, hey, whoever is where Paul, we need to get him this message. These people are going crazy. And so that's how we know. So praise God for a faithful woman of the church who reached out to Paul and told him this. And so what, what was going on there? Um, verse 12, it says, uh, what I mean, and, and so this has gotten bad enough to where Paul is not going to nuance anything. And I think there's, there's some uh, tension between this approach uh, in churches especially where it's like, you know what, we just wanna be what we're for, not what we're against. We just wanna be, you know, I'll kind of bring it up, but hopefully they'll kind of organically understand it and get it. Like this was bad enough to where he's like, no, we need to address specifically. This is a kind of cancer we need to aggressively pursue, not just, hey, you might wanna go get this looked at. He says, um, what I mean is that each one of you says, I follow Paul or I follow Apollos or I follow Cephas or I follow Christ. And it has gotten so bad that Paul thanks God. Remember last week he was thanking God because of the grace working out in their life. This week he thanks God that he didn't baptize any of them. <laughs> like how bad does it be to be like, hey, I'm just grateful that none of y'all are my disciples. <laughs> and, and so what, what is going on here? And so just up front, let me say that like, the I follow Paul, I follow Paulus, I follow Cephas, it's not what is going on here at Hope right now. It's not like a threat that's there. Jeremy and, I had, Jeremy and I had kind of joked that it's like, all right, well, Jeremy will preach this passage because he can really hammer it in and be like, don't follow one of the leaders of this church. But that's not what's going on here. So I just want to kind of put that aside. Uh, so what is going on? Well, it, it's a lot more complicated than that. Uh, when they say, I follow, uh, it is not, I prefer, or I'd rather listen to, or I, I really like this one. Uh, it, it cues us into a much deeper cultural thing that's going on. And so if this is all over the New Testament, this idea that I'll bring up, um, and it kind of unlocks the social context of what's going on in every single epistle, and so don't hear me like, this is going to change your whole faith. But it clues you into this really big concept socially of how people interact with one another. And it'll come up time and time again. Uh, and it's called patronage. And it was this social idea that everyone kind of interacts with each other on a level of like bartering, but it's, it's social bartering, not economic or, or exchange of money. So I might do a favor for someone knowing that they'll, owe me in return uh, but then I can kind of do another favor to someone knowing that they'll owe me in return and I might want to help someone out uh, that's lower than me because I know they're, they'll talk to their people and talk about how great I am socially and, and it was this whole level of currency and it, it, it's weird for us today because like last week I talked about this meritocracy and it's how good you are is how successful you are that's the American dream you can pull yourself up by your bootstraps it's like we would use the phrase, it's not what you know, it's who you know. And there's a little bit of that in today's culture. And, and my wife and I are, are from Nashville. And so that's absolutely true in Nashville. Um, but think to an extreme degree, that is how anything got done. And we, today we might call that kind of like under the table or even nepotism. We might see it as unfair 
uh, back then it was in the centerpiece of the table. It was public, it was celebrated. There was nothing like wrong about it or unethical. It was just, hey, if I need to do anything but like just simply buy some bread, I, I gotta talk to the right people. I gotta maintain relationships so there's this give and take constantly with us. And this is all over the New Testament world. It was just simply, this is the context we're in. And so it's not saying like, well, I really like Paul or I really like Apollos. It's I'm of Paul. You're factioning yourself so that you can identify with them according to that group and it, it means certain things and it doesn't mean certain things and so you're building your identity on one of these large church leaders so that you'll be associated with something so that you're, you'll socially determine yourself over and against other people in the church. And so I, I went through all these examples and I was like, I'm going to offend someone. We, we do this a little bit in our culture today. And the closest I could think through that's probably like a, a low risk thing is like when someone's like, oh, sorry, I'm a vegan, right? And you, you know that they're not just identifying a, a, like a dietary restriction usually. Like I know plenty of people who don't like hang that over your head, but you're communicating a little bit more than just that, that you don't eat products derived from animals, right? That's kind of the stereotype. That, that would be what it would similarly do. You're, you're saying, well, I follow Paul and you're trying to socially carve out who you are so that you can benefit most from that. Um, so do y'all wanna know which groups each one of you fit into? All right, I, this is one of the most fascinating nerd out things and uh, most of it is not conjecture, which I love. But so, all right, so the Apollos group. If you, uh, Apollos was this great orator. He, he was the lights out preacher. He was uh, even the name Apollos, right? He, he came from Greek culture. He was really culturally kind of inside. He was the cool preacher, very culturally relevant. And so if you're like, yes, contemporary worship, big preacher, like, and, and Apollos was known to have a very pastoral heart. And so like, there were a lot of people in Corinth who Apollos's ministry meant a lot to them. And so just by the way of Apollos's kind of cult of personality, that drew divisions. And so if you're sitting, if you're hearing all that and you can kind of picture the big churches, the loud stages and all that stuff and, and you're rolling your eyes and you're thinking, well, yeah, sure, but they're kind of walking away from doctor. You're the Paul group, all right? Paul was the founder. He, he, all of his people were really about the theology of the cross, the, the upside down, the, the just give me the gospel, right? I don't want all that cultural stuff. I don't want to get the, the watered down anything. Let's not reach out to how the culture, does. just give me the pure doctrine gospel, okay? You're in the Paul group, right? And as some of you are, are like, oh gosh, what group? Okay, so if you're, if you, like you see those two groups, right? And we're talking about big tent, right? So we're all friends. This isn't enemies. You shouldn't think of it like that. If you're just kind of like, oh, I get so bothered by this group and I can't stand this group. You're the Peter group. 
So it, Peter had gone through ups and downs, and this is a little, there's a little bit of kind of what, what Peter's role with the people were. Um, but Peter walked with Jesus. He was the founder, the rock of the church. Uh, Peter is in Cephas, so that, those were synonymous. Um, and maybe some clues in the rest of the letter would point towards Peter kind of visiting. Um, and, and so it's a much more milder, foundational kind of, hey, like, you know, I just want to love people. Why do we have to get so concerned with this or, or reaching these people with all these new hip concepts? Like, and, and so you're still factionalizing. You're saying, yeah, being really decided about something is just not a group I want to be a part of. I want to be a part of the group that just kind of goes with the flow. And like, y'all aren't helpful for making decisions, <laughs> Right? And so we each have a little bit of thing, the Paul group. Sorry, guys, I'm probably part of the Paul group. And a lot of people think we're jerks and we're culturally outdated and we don't connect. And then the Apollos group is probably like, hey, you guys look a little too much like the culture. You may not be distinctive enough. And so they're good and bad from all these groups. These people were overdoing it. And if you haven't found your group, there's another group in here. And so... Uh, Paul is a sarcastic guy. Amen. Amen. <laughs> and the, I love noticing his sarcasm. If you are reading through the epistles and you're like, ah, that kind of sounds sarcastic. It probably was. <laughs> like that was a, a, a powerful Greek tool in speaking and writing. Um, and that's even probably where we derive it from. I, it, it, like it was great back then. It was much more powerful um, but so when Paul says, or I follow Christ, those are the people who are like, you know what? I'm not into these groups. I just read the Bible and do what it says. Sorry, I'm just gonna have Jesus as my group. Like you're, you're kind of extending yourself beyond up into the atmosphere and you're saying like, well, I'm, I'm outside of this silly group identification thing. That's still factionalizing, right? And so all these people were not just like we kind of joke about it in a silly way here and if I was going to kind of say like all right well you got John MacArthur and Rick Warren and some people are like oh gosh no on either side right like okay well all right Beth Moore and Francis Chan and Tim you start just naming people and you're like well I want to identify with with this person I want to identify as this group I want to identify with this conference or this sect of people and, and we do that a little bit here. Imagine if your family's well-being was attached to who you associated with, which group you hung on to. Imagine if your children's education was dependent on, in society, which one of these four groups you belong to. So it's not just culturally connecting with, it's, I, I have to base my identity in these people. I have to foundationally come from some group or, or I'm missing out on this social capital that should be mine. And it, they were losing themselves in it to the point where Paul was glad that he did not have a direct attachment to some of these followers Think about the, the joy of a pastor baptizing someone and saying, I'm glad you don't have a great reason to call me as one of yours. 
And so they had shifted their identity from Jesus to Christian leaders. So just think, think how, how tough and how gray that is. You could never say, oh, you've walked away from the faith. No, I'm not. I'm a follower of Paul. But when you shift your identity from Christ to anything, you're going to have this factionalizing relational separation. And so that kind of comes back to that point. It's a symptom. It's not a horizontal problem. We can see the horizontal problems and moving on through this book, we will see tons of them. It's not a horizontal problem. It's a vertical problem. It's a divine problem. And so I said, it's a symptom of gospel separatism. So why, why relational separation and gospel separatism? For separatism is this idea of you're a part of a large group and you're breaking off. It's kind of like a political, socio-political term. You're breaking off of the large group to, to set your own based off of something. Like a lot of times it's cultural or ethnic or religious, but, but you're detaching, separating separatist. Okay, and so hang right there with me for just a second with the example. What the Corinthians were doing is they were all looking out for themselves. They're looking out for their own interests, what benefited them most, and whoever they could attach to was who they were going to get the most of that patronage social capital. And when we are selfish, we are building our own kingdom, our own little mini kingdoms. Like if, if I'm the king, what I say goes, I have certain standards and laws and rules in my kingdom. And if you break them, I'll punish you somehow. And we don't talk this way, but someone who's totally self-absorbed believes the world revolves around them. It is their kingdom. They are the king or queen of their little monarchy. And so a, a example that happened this week of my kingdom on Friday, we ran out of coffee in the office. I showed up. Realize we're out, I immediately go to 8th and Roast as fast as possible to get coffee and then to buy a little bag. I knew Spencer was going to be here the rest of the day. We have this amazing, beautiful 8th and Roast coffee. I step in. I take a deep, deep breath. I can't, I can't avoid the smell in the air. My, I look over at the coffee machine and there's coffee in the coffee pot. And my eyes get big, and I think, oh no. Spencer made the Folgers that was at the top of the pantry, almost like a, this is probably expired top of the pantry. Because you know what? In my kingdom, you, Folgers is expulsion, right? Like you don't, right? And so I thought, Okay, what is that, 10 cents worth of coffee ground? Okay, I, yeah. And I just walk over, and I, I'm adding this up in my head. What is, what is overly ridiculous and what's irresponsible and ridiculous one? So I dump it, and I remake some eighth and rose coffee. Because you know what? In my kingdom, we abide by certain standards and rules. <laughs> and so that's silly, but... Like, I was operating out of my kingdom. I, luckily, like, I didn't dump Spencer's favorite coffee for my, like, different flavor. 
And I was doing that like, okay, he's going to be excited to have this really nice coffee. Um, but in, in simple ways, that's what we do. We have these little, little rules that you follow in my kingdom. And if you break those, I, will, I have the right to be mad at you. I have the right to kind of verbally punish you. And if you attack my kingdom, then I'm really going, I will declare war on you. We, we do this all the time in little ways. And so when the Corinthians were focusing on their own little kingdoms, it's not, and remember, the saints at Corinth, these are Christians. When they were focused on their own little kingdoms, yet they're inside of the kingdom of heaven, they're inside Christ's kingdom of the Lord, the King, Jesus Christ, it's not just being selfish, it's treason. Countries all over the world, the most progressive countries, do not allow other false governments to pop up in the middle of them and to operate under their own sense of law and order. That's what we're doing when we operate out of our own kingdom's values, our own selfish pursuits. We're separatists of the gospel. We're not letting the gospel rule. We're not letting the gospel determine what's good, right, beautiful. We're, we're letting our own laws and values govern us. And we expect everybody else to be governed by it. And so we, we shift, we take this hard shift away. And so I don't want anyone to think that like at that point, when you're operating out of your kingdom values, because we will all slip into that, that for the Christian, in any moment, God's like, you know what? I am disappointed. I'm not mad, but I'm disappointed in you. That's not how God reacts to us. Like, praise God that our faithfulness is based on Christ and his reign and his rule. And so God's love for us is not lost, but it doesn't make any sense, right? We, surrender, we say, you know what? I have been going in my own kingdom against your kingdom, Jesus, for so long and I'm miserable. I'm surrendering to you, the true king. I wanna enter a kingdom where the ethic is love and forgiveness and where the laws are that you love one another. You see patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and self-control. All of those things spring up in your kingdom. Lord, I'm surrendering the keys to my kingdom. I'm laying down my arms. I'm coming into your kingdom. It doesn't make sense to then pick it back up and try to operate under our own laws that drove us desperately to Christ in the first place. But the Corinthians were totally lost in it. They were totally lost. Christ's kingdom is the only one that will last. And so when you start seeing these horizontal relational problems, you can know that it is not just a relational horizontal problem. It is a vertical one and we are separating. We're trying to determine what our own kingdom should be over and against Christ's kingdom in the gospel. And so what do we do? Like if we catch ourselves slipping into that, what do we do? And so there's two takeaways that I want us to get. And then one thing I don't want us to get. Y'all's heads popped up there. So I'll, I'll hold that one out here for a second. All right, two things I want us to understand. 
we need to be humble to see that the Corinthians didn't set out to be like this. They just took their focus off of Christ, his gospel, the unity for one another, his kingdom, and and they moved it to what they cared for most, what they desired, what they wanted to protect or preserve or focus on or build. That's what they focused, they they shifted their gaze. And so that, that can happen to any of us. That's why we have to work together to one, point it out in each other, but walk together, encourage one another in following the gospel, in following Christ. Paul, Paul talks about this, verse 17, he says, for Christ didn't send me to baptize. And that, that's not to pit baptism with preaching the gospel, it's just basically Paul saying, kind of in a cheeky way, Christ didn't send me to get a bunch of followers behind me. He sent me to preach the gospel. He didn't send me to do a bunch of social religious stuff. He sent me to preach the gospel. And so knowing that we must work together to pursue that mission, that's the central, central thing that we have to keep coming back to because all of us start turning into our own kingdoms unless we're brought back constantly for a long time without any checks That's how churches end up looking like this Corinthian church. How we prevent that. So one, we need humility. And how we prevent it is intentionally seeking the kingdom in this church. And so I don't know what that looks like for you. I think every single one of us has a different version of that with differing degrees. Um, I could list 30 out and I still may not touch any of them. But what... Think to yourself right now, what does that look like? What does it look like to intentionally pursue the kingdom of God and not your own? What does it look like to consider others more important than yourself? What does it look like to trust Christ for your identity rather than kind of what you could hold on to or grab or pursue? We get far more than what we can gain on our own. So we don't have to fight and, and manipulate and do all these things. And, and it's not that we see it out here, but it starts inside. It starts vertical. Remember that. So once it comes out, you're probably five or six steps behind. So we need to think and talk and pray about it internally with God. Uh, it didn't make sense in the Corinthian culture. And it won't make sense in this culture. We are brought up to look out for our own kingdoms. And every commercial is about you and what you deserve and your kingdom and you being happy. Even like Marie Kondo, I know y'all are all watching the Netflix thing, right? I know, that's like taking big shots. No, if it doesn't make you happy, get rid of it. And if you guys don't know what I'm talking about, just don't worry about it. If it doesn't, but that's, if it doesn't serve your kingdom, kick it out. And that is not Christ's kingdom. It's what does everyone else need more than me in this kingdom? That's how Christ approached us. And so one thing I don't want you to walk away with is I think it would be easy here to be tempted for Satan to take all this and just twist it just a little bit and put this little bug in your ear that's like, well, what is going on at hope right now? 
What, what secret innuendos are here? What, what are we trying to really figure out? What big problems are around? And praise God that we are not the Corinthian church, right? Like praise God that this is not us, right? We have humility to know that, hey, we're not better qualitatively. And I pray that as you are reading all of scripture, you don't read the messy things and think, oh, those people. Like where are those people? But praise God, we're not the Corinthians. And so I don't want us to walk out of here like turning and distrusting and looking around thinking, what you, okay, what secret desires that you have do I need to look out for? Like that would be the opposite of what Paul's trying to ask them to do. He is saying we need to unite. We need to come together. And how we stay that way is again, verse 17 he says, for Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel, not with words of eloquent wisdom, lest the cross of Christ be emptied of his power. And that's a kind of a preview of next week. And, and it won't make sense in our gut. Like that sentence does not make sense. I didn't want to do this with words of eloquent wisdom because I would strip the cross of its power. Like there's a level worldly that that makes no sense. And we will talk a lot about that next week. But if we can find ourselves striving after the things that this world and this kingdom, our own little selfish kingdom pursues and celebrates and says, yeah, that's what, that's what puts you on top. That's a clue into what we need to fight against collectively. We care more for others. It's the whole Philippians 2. Just put that up on your wall throughout this whole time. That Paul is trying to get them to have the mind of Christ back to that unity, right? Unifying around Jesus and the cross where, where weakness is somehow strength, where letting go is actually how you gain a lot. By not climbing the ladder, by descending is where you gain the most capital in heaven. Right? And we know that joy in life is found there. And so what I want to encourage us to do is focus on the cross, remain singularly centered on preaching the gospel. Singularly centered on preaching the gospel. What are you doing that's preaching the gospel? And how do we love and care for one another and think and consider one another that actually preaches the gospel? That's a beautiful thing when people on the outside can look and say, wow, look at what's going on in that church and how they care for one another. It doesn't seem like you guys are super selfish. And many of us have stories about churches that are the opposite tale of that. That's how we unite. That is how we agree. That's how we have the same mind and same judgment. And corporately and naturally, we will produce that fruit as we pursue Christ. It's a vertical thing. And whenever you see the horizontal things come up, know that you can take a step back and say, where am I trying to separate from the gospel and the kingdom of God? So, want to encourage us by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ that we agree that we be united under the cross of the same mind and judgment when we singularly pursue to preach the gospel that is what will happen amen let me pray Lord uh, thank you for your word 
Thank you for your grace that we can, uh, even viewing a, a bad example, Lord, we can uh, take heart that even though there was a lot of mess going on in this church, it didn't mean you lost love for those people. And so when we have mess in our lives, it doesn't mean that you love us any less. Um, but your love is based on your son and his work and his faithfulness. Uh, so we praise you for that this morning. Lord, help us clean our hearts constantly. Help us not grow tired of looking after uh, from one another, loving one another, submitting and uh, caring and holding the other uh, higher than ourselves. Lord, help us walk this way of the cross and be united as a church this morning and for years to come. We pray this in your name, Lord Jesus. Amen.